everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Interruptions. For those of you who are listening for the very first time, we call our podcast Interruptions because we believe that there's a magical space between an incident or something occurring and your reaction to that occurrence. We call that space, that time in between, we call that the interruption. And we, the Workplace Learning and Professional Development team, believe that if you have the appropriate tools to engage positively during that interruption, that is when the magic can happen and we can yield the positive results that we all want. Today's episode is a part of the Love GT series, Love Georgia Tech, Living Our Values Every Day. We're taking a deeper look into our new, well, we can't call them newly articulated values because they've been around for a bit now, but our values, uh, of which there are nine of them. But I'm super excited today to chat with uh, Tiffany, Lolo, and Jerome about students being our top priority. Would you all like to introduce yourself? Jerome, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Hey there, I'm Jerome Stevens. I serve as the Associate Dean of Students and Director for the Center for Student Engagement at Georgia Tech. I've been here about nine years um, working in a, in a very similar role. I often just describe our work as working with all of the um, student organizations here on campus. So we work with our registered student orgs, which um, is nearly 600 registered student orgs that, that includes Greek life, our civic engagement pro- programs, student media, and then a plethora of other um, student student orgs that represent anything from a rocket club to a to a, a bridge club, not bridge bridge building, but bridge playing. So that's that's who we are. Um, so yeah, that's that's me. Awesome! Thank you so much for being here, Jerome. Lolo. Hi, Latrice. Um, so I serve as the inaugural vice president for student engagement and well-being. I've been here since August, but I'm finishing up my 30th year uh, in the profession. Uh, and so this is my seventh institution that I've worked. I'm having a blast. I'm loving Atlanta. The division that I get to lead, I won't be able to name because there's uh, close to 50 distinct departments and programs and units. But basically, it's the Division of Student Life and the Division of Campus Services got merged together. And we represent a significant proportion of all of the programs and services that are co-curricular, so non-instructional, that are here to really support our students in their learning and in their success. So this ranges, for example, from the two offices uh, that Tiffany and Jerome lead, uh, but also housing, dining services, um, our dean of students office. So it's it's a full range uh, of programs and services that that we offer. So um, I just want to give a shout out to all the fur baby uh, parents out there. So I'm a mother of of two two cats. Oh, hey fur baby parents out there. Thank you, Lolo. Tiffany. Hi, Latrice. It's so Hi. good to be here today, and I wanted to congratulate you on season two of Interruptions. I think you started this about four years ago, and it's fantastic, so I'm so glad to be here. Um, I'm Tiffany Hughes-Troutman. I'm a psychologist, and I direct the CARE department, which is the part of student engagement and well-being. Uh, it is an acronym because, you know, Georgia Tech, we love our acronym, acronyms, and it's the Center for Assessment, Referral, and Education. Mm-hmm. We are the triage assessment and referral department, and we partner extensively with other units that are clinical, like the Counseling Center and Stamp Psychiatry, but also the wealth of other resources and services on campus, obviously in the Division of Student Engagement and Wellbeing, but on the academic side, too. And so um, I'm delighted to be here. This is actually my third department at Georgia Tech. 
I'm really delighted to have an opportunity to be in three separate departments at a STEM school, given that I'm a psychologist, mm-hmm. uh, worked in the counseling center, worked in health initiatives, and now I'm here. So just so happy to talk about students as our top priority and to be in the space with my colleagues today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you all, first and foremost, for the work that you do with our students. We definitely thank you and appreciate that. Um, before we jump right into the to the topic at hand, I want to have a little fun with y'all. So I would love to know one or two things. You have a choice. Okay. You can either tell me your theme song, right? So if you were doing like a big speech or something and you needed to walk on the stage and get everybody hyped, what would your theme song be? Or if you don't have a theme song, you can tell me your favorite quote. So anybody can start. Let's see. Uh, Jerome is smiling. So maybe he has one. Yeah. we were we were chatting earlier and I was thinking about this. This this isn't really a challenge because I really adore Dolly Parton. So when I I often quote quote her and every morning when I wake up, I start my my day by listening to NPR on my Alexa. And then um, at the end of that, I have it set to, to play Light of a Clear Blue Morning by Dolly Parton. So that's kind of become what what plays in my in my head. Um, and I, I think a kind of a way of thinking about that song is is one of her quotes is um, if you want the rainbow, you have to put up with with the rain. Um, and I think that's that's kind of where I where I live every day is like, how do we make make things better? And there's moments that that, that don't feel great, but um, there's there's light on the way. Yes. OK, Dolly Parton. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we love Dolly Parton. We love Dolly Parton. Uh, who's next? I'll go. So this is a little bit of a separate twist. I didn't get picked next. <laughs> a little bit of separate twist. I think if I was walking across the stage, this would not be the song I would think of. But I do think that my theme song is Someday We Will All Be Free by Johnny Hathaway. And it's probably the song that I think of most. And I think about it a lot. I love the song. It talks about the element of, like the roller coaster ride of life and the ups and downs and hanging on and the end we'll all be free. I think when I think about freedom, you know, and that space, I think about it now, I think about the future and that, um, you know, it will be okay. And that the essence of freedom, I think goes beyond, you know, the boundaries of what people typically think about freedom. We will be in peace. Uh, we will be ourselves. Uh, we will be around those we love. And so, that's that's my song. That's the song that I would pick for today. I love it. I love it. It's almost like a closeout song, right? Versus a hype you up song. It's like listen mm-hmm. to all this knowledge I'm about to drop and then close it out with Donny Hathaway. I love it. Good. Good so that may be my home my homegoing song. <laughs> that's something I will to play that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. What do you think, Lola? This works out real good because since Tiffany and Jerome both had songs, I'll do a quote. Okay. Um, and I, I love quotes just because a lot of times when I'm doing speaking, um, I like to include a quote because I think it's just sometimes when others find a way to say something better than us, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. So I'm going to say hands down, um, this is a quote from Audre Lorde. It's very personal in a lot of ways because I feel like it's defined who I am and what kind of leader I've been, but also as a human being in my personal life. So it's when I dare to be powerful, to use my strength in the service of my vision, Ooh. then it becomes less and less important whether I'm afraid. 
Wow, I hadn't heard that one before. Can you repeat it one more time? I sure can, and I can send it to you afterwards. When I dare to be powerful, to use my strength in the service of my vision, then it becomes less and less important whether I am afraid. Okay. Yeah. I had something happen early in my career where I had to make a decision about speaking up at risk to myself Mm -hmm. um, and to my family. And I made the choice to speak up and it really helped me learn something about who I was and the kind of leader that I will be. And it's kind of related a little bit to the topic that we have today. Absolutely. Um, But it's really defined, I think, a lot of who I am. Absolutely. Thank you so much. My quote that I quote all the time is send a changed person back to an unchanged system and the system will win every time. Oh, true that. (laughs) True that. Who's that from? That's from his name is Rumler. He wrote a book called Improving Performance. It's in the organizational development space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thinking about that, thinking about how systems have changed or are changing, integrating that with students being our top priority throughout your career. How have you all seen sort of this this idea of servicing students change over the course of sort of cycles of life and what's going on in the world. Um, how, how have you seen that change? Lolo, you want to start there? So, I mean, this is an interesting question because, again, I think about my time in the field and then also spent at seven different campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's a little bit reaching back into the dark recesses of my memory, but also thinking about my own experience as mm-hmm. a college student in undergrad and grad. So I think in some ways we haven't changed. Um, That is the nature of large, complex organizations is that they have a tremendous resilience and ability to resist change. Um, You know, there are subtle things, right? If you think about just how we're organized, most campuses, there are differences, but we still organize ourselves into academic affairs and student affairs and admin and finance. Uh, And every now and then you'll get a president or you know, a CEO that gets a little bit creative. But the reality of it is, is we have some structural ways in which we think about our work that have persisted for multiple centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of our students are letting us know that the ways in which we teach and the ways in which we serve continue to persist in old ways, even though our students are new. Uh, and so I think our challenge is that the growing and increasing diversity of our students defined by a wide range of identities that has been happening for the last decade or more and has been well documented, how much have we actually pivoted, right, Mm -hmm. as institutions? The pandemic was a wonderful opportunity for us to actually do some of the pivoting because we were forced to. And I think what we're seeing as a community in higher education is the pressure and maybe Mm self-imposed pressure universities to go back to the quote-unquote way it was (laughs) and that our frame of what was better or what is the ideal is going back to the status quo. Uh, I I do see some ways in which we are pivoting and responding, but I think for me the challenge is the ways of staying the same are just so much stronger and more powerful. So the need to be change management leaders I think is a real strong imperative for us mm-hmm. in higher ed today. Interesting. Throughout your career, Jerome, what have you seen as you navigate this space? 
Yeah, and I, I appreciate Lolo's kind of understanding of of the way we haven't changed because I, I think there is a, a reality that you know even in you know I'm I'm 42 so when I when I think back to college. Um, I, I've been in this is my 20th year working as a, a professional in student student affairs. It's, it's all I've ever done. Third institution. And I worked at my undergrad institution in, in my first role. My first supervisor talked about her 20 years working in that same role as the director of student act activities um, at that small regional state school. And the change that she described of um, the biggest change that, that she described, and I think it was an, 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 an insightful moment. From 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 me, she talked about how in the 80s um, and early 90s they started putting cable in um, residence halls, so cable television. <laughs> so the so the way that people engaged and students in, engaged and gathered started shifting. Is that when they could watch television in their rooms, there was a slight shift. And then we saw in the in the late um, uh, 90s we started seeing uh, internet going into to rooms. I started school in 97 uh, at a university. It was my first email address. And I'm thinking back to, I didn't really use it. It's like, there was nothing really important going there in 97. So like I would get things and like, we might have to respond to something, but it was more of like, like you couldn't really attach big, big documents and, you know, the school might send something, but even most of our our faculty weren't using email. And I think back to, I was probably, I'm the last generation of like an actual memo where we didn't, where we didn't just like send continuous Emails back and forth to um, figure something out. And my boss was the queen of, of memos. So it was like really great at synthesizing information. And it was one of those things that I gained. You know, by the time I was finishing grad school, we had face Facebook and we were seeing all, all these other methods of delivery. Cause I think that was this kind of um, moment of, 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 of adoption of online delivery of courses. Like I couldn't have imagined doing a class fully online the way we we do it now when I was, you know, a freshman in um, college. So I, I think as, as, as we've, we've, we've moved the delivery of, you know, this social thing that was put into rooms and then given to us to kind of start doing our work. And then when I first started my, my career, I started seeing paper files going away and us communicating via email and creating websites. And we focused so much of our, our work in communicating virtually um it's it's all our, our current students know so um i believe that, that there's something here in the way um students are connected to each to each to each other because now you know wi-fi is everywhere you know cable is a is is a joke they have access to all these things on their phones that include everything from uh entertainment to the way they might understand one of our, our processes. So we're making YouTube videos of, you know, how to how to understand the, the counseling center or how to understand um, dining. So it's like they literally have every piece of in- information on, on their phone, yet we still have these huge gaps. And I think there's gaps that we didn't have before that 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 that, that we've created um, in this digital world. Yet we're still, as Lolo said, doing much of our work the same, piling on the digital expectations to our staff, keeping their website, sending email constantly. And I just dream of that day when I wasn't sitting at at my desk answering email all day. Um, So as an administrator, I think of the programmatic things that I was able to do very quickly and create, you know, um, a a really great session. But now I feel like we, we, we spend so much time doing that. I can't imagine being a student in that space. So, Mm -hmm. 
long story to, to, to say that I, I think so, there's so much happening digitally and, and virtually that the interactions that our students have, even within their student, their student or organizations and out of the classroom, um, still lack some of those, um, those connective pieces of, um, you know, personal interaction that, you know, I, I think we were talking about 20 years ago yeah. and we're still talking about them in similar ways in a very different world. Yeah, it's super interesting. I think back to when I was in undergrad and thinking about the work that you do, Tiffany, I didn't even know if we had these kinds of services over 20 years ago when I was in school. And I could have definitely used somebody like Tiffany to kind (laughs) of talk through some of the struggles that I was going through. So, Tiffany, in your career and being a psychologist in this space, sort of what have you seen? Your question is excellent because, I, you know, as a psychologist, I'm aware of the dynamic tension between this generation of students and educating the current students versus the institutions and processes and, I think, the general reluctance to change, honestly. Um, I'm aware that individuals fear change. They fear the unknown, and there's been a great deal of anxiety, I think, particularly over the past two to three years, which is normal, of course, Um, But I also understand that given this generation of students who we are educating now, making them first, means that we must be agile. We must appreciate diversity. We must pivot. We must be responsive. And we need to plan programs, services, and initiatives that meet them where they are. And you brought up the, uh, Latrice, the issue of counseling. That's an excellent example because when I was an undergraduate, there was a counseling center in a small unit. I think it was a bit of a trailer was in a building and it was not advertised. And I think you, it was between two residence halls and you had to pass it to know what it was. Now the counseling center and care and stamp psychiatry pivoted to telebehavioral health rapidly in the spring of 2020. And we find that students really appreciate and love that. And it meets their needs too. There are barriers for students who either wouldn't go, come to a physical center because of various reasons, cultural reasons, or other barriers, time and space. There's students who uh, really would not be comfortable coming to our space for many reasons, and others it just fits their schedule better. There may be students who were able, actually were able to access during that critical time when we were all remote. And so that's just an example of the agility and the ability to pivot and meet the needs. We're finding now is that students want our, the educators to be responsive. They They reach out in numerous ways. They want us to acknowledge them. They want to create space with uh, with them. They want us to make sure that we are having diverse menus of offerings. And I'm so pleased that student engagement and well-being has stepped up to that and pivoted. And I think we do need to, though, be aware of the fact that we have a generation of students now who have diverse learning needs diverse expectations and diverse set of circumstances that will support their student success. But in the face of the fact that we are in an organization of employees and leaders who fundamentally may be grappling with change themselves. So when I talk about that, and I absolutely agree with Lolo and Jerome, that some things change and some things just seem to stay the same, mm-hmm. that we need to acknowledge that dynamic tension and make sure to elevate that, training our employees to meet with students to have agility, compassion, to be able to pivot, and also go along with this, you know, trend and trajectory of what we see in terms of student demographics today. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I thought when we were doing the work around sort of trying to crystallize what our values were going to be, 
And it would seem to most that we're at an institution of higher learning, right? We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the students, right? So why would we need a value that says students are our top priority? It seems to me kind of like, duh, right? Like students are our top priority. But when you think about that and, and think about the process in which we were able to get to our final list of nine values, sort of what are some specific things that you all do to keep that in the forefront of your mind that students are our top priority? Jerome, you want to take that question and start us off? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question, and I um I, I I like the idea. So I'm a I'm a culture researcher. So when I when I you know studied um for my my PhD, my 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 focus was and it and it came from this idea of how do we create culture, um and I heard people saying it throughout my my career. Well, we just need to work on the on the culture here. Um, and it became a very frustrating phrase for me um, to the point that I'm like, I need to figure out what what that means. And I care deep, deeply about it. So when I when I hear that and, and, and when I hear Georgia Tech saying it is like, yeah, students are our, our, our top priority. It must mean that at some some point we felt like we were, we we're making decisions that may have not reflected that. So um, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's exploring those those pieces. And I think Tiffany was 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 making some excellent points when we think about the way we deliver services is is us saying that we have to do counseling in in person may not be where our students are anymore. It it may not be the best way to think about the delivery of of, of that piece, even though there's research that likely shows that that is a very um, astute way to deliver counseling services. And there's reasons that 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 we may not want to shift to a virtual delivery. I think that's what it's about. It's grappling with these these um, these pieces that feel resistant. You know, when we think about how much our organizations haven't changed and how much the world has, these students don't know the world that we knew when 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 we were in college. And I used to think that I was very connected, but I'm like, no, I can't imagine having access to all the information in, in the world in the palm of my, my hand, um, being being able to communicate to anybody in the world in the palm of my 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 hand. That's a different way of thinking. And, and these students have only ever known that. So I think what does it look look like for students to be first? It means recognizing that us sitting in, in, in these administrator positions um, and none of us have lived kind of this 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 experience that is so different, um, that it's so, so immersive. And I, and I think even more so the diversity that our students have experienced comes from what they've experienced um, on their televisions and on their phones and, and on their computers in ways that we didn't um, in, in terms of narratives that have played out on on the news and in you know, on Facebook and I, I'm using Facebook as the <laughs> as the word for all of these social media outlets is the things that our um, students have seen and understood and, and reflected on um, are so different. So that's that's what it means to, to be students first is that, you know, we, we have to rethink these delivery methods um, and kind of uh, be less of afraid to to pivot or to rethink um, what we feel like is the best method or the or the or the best way of connecting. So for for a, a robust campus community as ours, right? In my mind, I think of Georgia Tech as a little city within a city <laughs> because there's every job, you know, from somebody literally studying rocket science to someone making keys on our, you know, taking photographs. Like there's every kind of job. Some of those particular positions have direct access with students. 
right? Like they service students in a direct way. And then there are those of us who have to find ways to make students our top priority and to, or to remind ourselves that that is why we're here because we may go a whole month or two without interacting. We'll see them in the, you know, at the tin drum or crossing the street with their phones in their hands and not looking up or something, but we really, you know, don't necessarily have the day-to-day interactions with them. So Lolo, I'm curious to know, um, for employees that don't have direct contact or provide services directly to students, what can they do to kind of support this value of students being our top priority? So Latrice, let me start a little bit with maybe how I'm defining the value. Okay. Um, I think that's the challenge when you have values is, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the word diversity, right? What does it mean? Um, I've mm-hmm. never met a person that says that they don't value diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm-hmm. And a proportion of those are people that I would go, I'm not sure that you've been a DEI champion. Let's be honest, right? So I think a lot of it is how we define it. So to me, when we say students are a top priority, one is we need to say it because I think if we're really honest, that isn't always the truth. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there's shame in acknowledging that, right? So I'll give you one example. Most of our offices are open eight to five, Mm. okay? Um, If we were, students are our first priority, we would have different hours, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? We would have hours that were more like retail. Um, And and so that's just an example, but part of it is because we have people with lives and families who work. Mm -hmm. So part of our schedule is to help our employees sustain and do what they need to. So, and I think that's a good thing, but I'm going to say that that's not leading with students are our first priority, right? Our top priority, because if they were, we would schedule work differently. So that's a very difficult tension. There's no right or wrong answer, but I'm just observing that you could argue there that we have not organized work to have students be first in this case. Okay. So, so that's the one is, I, I think you're right. We had to say it because it's not always the case. I think when we say students are top priority, it's another way to say our mission is educational mm-hmm. in nature. And there are other activities that we may do that support that and feed into it, but that we're saying it ought to be that our learning and educational mission is first. So if I only have so many dollars and we pick investing here or investing in education and learning of our students with a special mindfulness around educational equity and closing that gap, then we invest energy, time, effort, resources, people, whatever that case may be in that. Mm-hmm. I also think students are a top priority doesn't mean that we just give students whatever they want or that students are always right, uh, right? And, and so I think that's important that operationalizing that, what it is and what it isn't, right? And we've had some, so, so in other words, like I'll use student conduct, that's an example. Um, a student may have done something that was a violation of our conduct, and they have done it more than once. So they're probably on the road to a suspension, and they're going to appeal, and they're going, well, I shouldn't be suspended because if you cared about students, I want to get my degree, and if you suspend me, that interferes with me getting my degree. So one overlay is, well, if students are a top priority, we would go, well, we need to help them get their education, so don't suspend them. Mm-hmm. But if students are a top priority, we also have to go, that code of conduct violation doesn't just impact that student, it impacts the whole community. So not providing accountability actually has impacts on other students that doesn't place them first, right? right. So anyway, so I think those are just, that, that's important for me as we talk about what a value is, is to define it. 
So I think for individuals who don't work directly, that definition and that clarification is actually what's important. And one of the things that I've really tried to lead with um, is this idea that, and this idea that we're a little city, right? And lots of people doing different jobs. But I'm going to say, I'll use police. I'll use law enforcement. Um, law enforcement reported to me at my last institution. And so one of the challenges that I worked on with them is you are not a law enforcement agency. You work for an educational institution. You're all educators first. And the way you deliver the academic mission is through law enforcement. Mm. So that's a real, that sounds like a nuance and a pivot, but there are practices and principles that if I lead first as a law enforcement agency, I'll show up a certain way. But if I lead first as an educational organization and then think about, well, what kind of law enforcement practices and policies and values help to shore up that approach, right? So how do I adopt more of a community policing, which I think is important for all communities, but it's particularly important on campus because I see every police officer as a potential educator with students, right? Mm -hmm. We're not just here to go, we're enforcing the laws, but that there's an opportunity to educate and have that conversation. Okay, by the same token, I don't worry about this with Tiffany and her team, but I've worked on some campuses where uh, the medical services team, right? We're, we're medical staff, right? And again, same thing. You are all educators who happen to be medical providers, mm-hmm. right? And so the practices that we establish in health services or medical services on campus need to shore up and lead from a place of well, how do we deliver this care to support students as learners? Mm-hmm. And how do we provide this care to help eliminate the gaps, right, that, that come um, because of, of historical marginalizations that have occurred in society and in institutions. So I think then that same goes for all the other units who are, I mean, those are just two examples of people that have been in student affairs divisions. So mm-hmm. if you're in a unit that really is more indirect service, I think reminding ourselves the why. So I would love to see that in our interviews that we remind people, yeah, you're in for a job to be a cashier in some admin finance department, but why do you want to work at a university? Right. Is that in the end, your decisions are ultimately going to it's like a waterfall. Right. So you might be at the water source where you don't even see where that water falls over the edge. But in the end, all the water leads to that waterfall and it plummets into a pool that ultimately is about supporting and serving students. So I think I have always from my role as a senior student affairs officer and a ca- and a campus leader reminded folks that we're all educators. I consider the custodian. An educator. I remember at one of my institutions, the custodian who serviced one of our residence halls helped us identify there was a cluster of women on that floor who had eating disorders. Mm. And the custodian knew that because she heard them and was cleaning up after them and came into my office. She was a little bit shy, but she said, um, you know, Miss Lola, I gotta, I gotta share something with you. I don't know if I'm stepping out of my place, but I, I just want to let you know because I'm worried about these, about these girls. That's what she said. But yeah. it didn't matter the words; it mattered the care and the compassion. Yeah. I think that custodian saw her role as an educator, mm-hmm. right, and took that that extra step. So, I think that's where we start. You know, little things like the academic calendar. You know, there's so many times where major events are planned, and I'm always like. You do realize that that's like right at finals. <laughs> so that's a small thing, but just keeping the academic calendar front and center um, is critical. That's a way that we put the academic mission first.
Yeah, no, I think that's so, I mean, you, you called it nuanced, but it's so important. So students are a top priority, but we are educators first, right? I never sort of reconciled in my mind in that way, the way that you explained it. So I think that that's, that's awesome and it's very good. Um, thank you for, for sharing that perspective. Tiffany, would you add anything there? I absolutely concur. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about the element of us all being educators, I um, agree with Lolo in that we're we're all educators. And we also, I would add, need to think about the fact that we are educating alumni and individuals who are entering a, entering a workplace who need to be well. One mm-hmm. thing that I appreciate about our values is that they intersect with each other. So thinking about um, expanding access and diversity, equity, inclusion, and certainly cultivate well-being. I think a lot about what we're doing to prepare our students to move beyond and how we're helping them to be well is say think about the experience at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about a study that Gallup has typically uh, produced. It's a report. It used to be called the Gallup Purdue Index. I think it's now the Gallup Alumni Study. And the, the one back from 2014 that I always remember that's not as recent, but it's it's quite meaningful, is that students who had someone to care about them, an educator who cared about them, who mentored them and who had uh, the ability to keep them excited about school, those graduates had a doubled, um, they, and their persistence and their ability to feel success and engagement and work doubled because of that. But mm-hmm. only 11% of graduates had all three of those. When I think about students as our top priority and the fact that we're all educators, it's incumbent upon us to think about how are we uh, communicating our care and compassion to students? How are we really helping them to thrive and pursue their dreams? How are we engaging in mentoring and mentorship relationships? I think about the article, Latrice, and your work in mentoring that was just featured this week in the Daily Digest and the importance of mentoring relationships. That impacts student well-being in so many ways. There are connections there that we can attend to. And so these values intersect. They're not happening in a vacuum. When we're thinking about students living their best lives and having people to care for them and having uh, the belief in them to reach their dreams, we're talking about diverse learners who have access to opportunities and we're creating opportunities that are equitable for them and not creating a space in which they're disadvantaged because we're, we've not set up the conditions for them to succeed. It's important for us to think about students now, but also think about where they're going because they're, you know, we're with students for what, four, five, six, seven years here. They're an undergraduate and beyond if they're a graduate student. And so thinking about preparing them for life beyond, having those skills to help them yeah. feel like they are going to be well, that they are competent, competent, autonomous, that they feel safe. And it's not about hand-holding. It's about those skills that we teach them and help initiatives, about being well and having self-care and other units that support that, the proactive things that they need, independent of whether or not they ever need a clinical resource, to make sure that they feel confident and strong, that they're resilient, that they can thrive, and they can move forth. Because when we talk about our Georgia Tech students, we're also holding on to our community of Georgia Tech graduates who are going to come back and think about, how did Georgia Tech prepare me in the work? 
how did they teach me about what it's like to be well and to know what wellness is amongst all these dimensions so that I can have a balanced life? What are we doing right now to make sure students know that they're just not a number or a GPA? That it's important for them to attend to these aspects of their well-being holistically, and it's just not one part of them, so that they feel like if they fail to class, they're not worth it. That's what I think about students as the top priority, and that we're educating them on all of this to make sure they're well here, to make sure they're well in the future. Well, with you all at the helm, I tell you, we are creating healthier, more inclusive learning environments, reminding us that we are educators first. I think that is definitely key. When I um, was here at Tech for about, I guess I had been here about four or five years, and I did not have direct access with students, right? My job, my role, by the nature of what I do, did not put me in the space with students um, very frequently. And I was getting a little, you know, you know how it can be when you get into a job and all the extra stuff that happens. And someone told me, they said, Latrice, you need to connect with students. You got to figure out a way to connect with students because our students are brilliant and they will inspire you to keep going. And so at that time, I decided to start teaching a GT1000 class every Friday at 8 o'clock in the morning. And it like like magic it was like oh it was i started to look forward to doing that but it the residue of that sort of helped me sort of show up in my job in a different way and so for those of us who don't necessarily have that impact i really love this idea of changing our frame to think about everything everybody on this campus as an educator first And then, Jerome, just to kind of round out the discussion and close it out, are there other things or other ways you think that people could potentially engage with students that you might know about? Absolutely. You know, I I love Lolo's example of the of the cleaning staff who was just aware that this was more than a mess in the bathroom. So it's like recognizing that there was something greater happening and that there were connectivities that that we all have to helping and supporting students. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the director for the Center for Student in- Engagement, and I talk about that a lot because I feel like it's my role to advocate for student organizations and student organization leaders. But, you know, what what you're describing in, in, in my role as a as as associate dean, I'm I'm able to meet with students, um, not student leaders often, um, students who who are in crisis or who are just needing the dots connected between what they're dealing with and, and the service that that we have or the support that 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 we have. So I, I think what we're all describing this students first model, this idea um, is maybe about a system, but I think it's more about us recognizing that we're here to support people and, and these people are just trying to do the best that they can every day. And these people happen to be students, they're learners. Um, so that when, you know, any person is, is coming in, in contact with a, a student and they can identify something is, you know, recognizing that there's a, there's referral forms or there's like, Oh, did you know, know about this service? Did you know that tech has tutoring? You know, I, I think it could be any number of things. Um, you know, I, I'm often the, the often a uh, better than a than an answer is a is a question. So when you're interacting with students, that how are you doing, and then listening um, is is kind of key. Is like how are how are classes going? Because students don't often here give the, the just the blanket answer. They'll they'll let you know. Um, and diving in and then getting getting students where they where they need to go. That's what I, I believe students first is about is sometimes putting away the work 
and recognizing that the, that the work is getting people where they need to be. Awesome. Very good. Thank you all so much. Just to close it out. Patrice, yeah, yeah. can I just jump in? Because when you asked that question, I had some real concrete things. If oh, I, yes, I just want to get those in. Yes, please. First of all, thank you for teaching GT1000. That, that's very rewarding and so important that we have staff and faculty volunteering to do that. But here are other ways. We're all direct. So we have hundreds of student organizations who could all benefit from an advisor. And there can be more than one. Okay, they can get each other's backs. So that's one. Two, I encourage every department that can to hire student workers. Mm. It's a way to help them uh, financially. It goes back to Tiffany's point about engagement is that then those students get more individualized attention and relationship building, right, with those colleagues, those professional mm -hmm. staff that are in that unit. Third, even if you don't have student employees, go out of your way to mentor a student. And so, for example, even if you work in a unit that sounds like like in the budget area, it sounds like it has no direct student. But we have students who are studying finance, right, who are majoring in business. And so offering yourself to be a mentor. And the reason why I like to offer this is not every staff person can make that investment of time to teach a course for a whole semester. But these are like little buckets of things that we can do that require differing levels of energy. So that ability to choose but the point is get students into your life and there's just so many different ways. So if any of you who are out there listening to, to this podcast are, are interested, you know, contact any of the three of us. We got plenty of ways that we can engage you, um, both short term and longer term ways. Uh, and I just think it's, it's a mutual benefit for the students and for that staff person. It's a way to give back to the academic mission. Absolutely. Thank you for those tangible examples, Lola. That was really, really important. I, um, I, I want to give us just a few minutes to just wrap up thinking about all that we've talked about today and thinking about the audience of folks, typically as faculty and staff members who listen to this podcast. I think we've gotten several um, nuggets today. For me, you know, we're all educators first, right? Students are our top priority, but thinking of each and every one of us as educators and then thinking about some of those tangible ways that we can get in front of students and, and be a, a, a real community member for for the students. I also like when Tiffany was talking about like asking questions and talking to people, referring to services, understanding what we have to offer on our campus for yourself so that when you are engaged with students, then you can share that information that they may not know. But as we close out, I'll just go around any final thoughts, Tiffany, as we close out our podcast today. Well, Latrice, I want to echo um, my my thanks to you and for your team for opening up this opportunity because often um, faculty and, and staff are looking for tools and your interruptions podcast is really creating space for that interruption for us to be present uh, and mindful about what happens and uh, you know to engage what we can do to help ourselves develop and just learn more. So I want to thank you for that. Um, I think in summary, I would I would just state that it's important to understand that um, if we're going to demonstrate our care and compassion to students, we need to make sure we're doing that in palpable ways that are demonstrable and that reflect our values. You know, I, I think we need to consider what our role is and how we can move forth in whatever ways, even it's taking one small step uh, to commit to doing something, to engaging with students to support their, their success you know, to volunteering. Again, as Lolo mentioned, there are a lot of opportunities in the Division of Student Engagement and Wellbeing 
uh, even if you don't have a front-facing role. And so just pick one small thing. Behavioral change starts with one thing. If you have a commitment and desire in your heart to help students and you're looking for the opportunity, there's a, there, there are a lot of avenues here. But I would say think about one thing that's in alignment with who you are and, and your values and pick it and move forward with it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you. Absolutely. Jerome. I really like the quote that you started with is that send a changed person back to an un, unchanged system and the, and the, and the system wins. That's a, that's a real culture focused, um, quote yes. and recognizing that we don't change cultures. I think cultures are, are the, the, the behavior of the organization, the organization. So more often than not, this is how the organization responds. Um, we can change these pieces. We can think about our, you know, if, does a student feel like we're student focused? Do they feel like these processes and systems and their, their connectivity to people, um, is student, student focused? So I, I think that's what, as we try to create this, um, uh, really cool student, uh, student first culture. I, I think it takes examining the system. All of us got into student, student affairs and I'm, I'm using the word all. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that that's probably true because we're passionate about student learning and success. Um, and there's typically something, um, that really drives us. And I, I think about the way I was introduced as a first generation student, um, going to school in my hometown. My first sem- semester was academically very successful, but community wise, it didn't feel great. And it was a service break, um, and an alternative service break trip where I was able to meet other peers and, and also find the connectivity to a, a staff person that I first felt like I was a part of the community. And I think that there are hundreds of those opportunities living within um, in Georgia Tech, whether it's in the classroom, research space, student assistance space, student organizations. But I think, um, you know, I, I, I go back to what one of my Ramblin' Rec um, president said is like, if every student had a, a membership in a, in a club as meaningful as this one, we, we might need fewer counselors. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't know that that's true. We, we absolutely need, need, need counseling, but counselors are not the answer to, um, people feeling like they don't have a community or, um, or those pieces. So I, I, I am go to these systems. How do we create systems where students feel connected to people? to um to resource um and they feel like they know where to to to, to get those supports awesome thank you jerome and lola so i think i'll close with two things first of all i really appreciate the invitation to join you in this unfortunately in our day-to-day lives they're they're driven by fire crisis and (laughs) and chaos I'm, I'm joking. I love what I do. But I think what I appreciate about this was just a, a chance to be in the strategic space, right, and, and thought partnership with, with the three of you. So I think I'll, I'll offer two thoughts. One is um, I actually think culture can be changed. It's changed one push at a time. And so I want to share that for us in student engagement and well-being. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to start small. It's daunting. And why most people don't change culture is it doesn't happen quickly, right? It doesn't happen in nine months. It's not finished in one academic year. You have to stick to it. You have to do pull a community together. Uh, you start by watering the grass, not trying to water the rocks, right? So, so you change where you can. But I do think we need to change the culture. And it goes back to your original point about why do we think things have changed enough? And so I think that's the first thing. So for those who want to join with us in doing that, that's that's what we're trying to focus on. And whether it's to promote 
uh, health and wellness and well-being or foster student engagement and belonging and success. The cultural change piece is where we want to focus. And then the second thing I want to talk about is really to those who are going to be listening is we cannot talk about students are our first priority and then engage in the dysfunction of draining ourselves. Mm. Okay, that's the danger of a value like that. And I, I want to keep in mind that I'm a recovering codependent uh, individual, right? And so this this mindfulness about there's a reason why we say put your own oxygen mask on before assisting others. So I think it's important to remember that, and Tiffany mentioned this, is we are all exhausted. And I think we have varying degrees of burnout to demoralization. They're two different things. And there's a continuum there. Some are both, some are one or the other. They're, they're different and related. And I think that's important for us as a community, right? At Georgia Tech as an institute is how do we take care of those of us who are responsible for delivering the academic mission? So I think that's going to be equally important is how do we build the capacity to be able to put students are our first priority and deliver that educational mission again with that important caveat that that it's also about closing the educational equity gaps. Mm -hmm. So I think making sure that we can have those conversations and uh, I'm blanking on the person who said this. I want to make sure I'm attributing this. This is a colleague in our field who talks about do we go forward with toxic positivity Mm -hmm. or do we move forward with critical hope? And Mm -hmm. I think toxic positivity will not allow us to lean into how we are tired and many of us are right on that path to being depleted. But Critical Hope both acknowledges that and talks about what we can do to fix that so that our faculty and our staff and our administrators can rejuvenate and replete and, and show up as our best selves for our students. So I, I don't want to lose that part because that's the danger of students are our first priority. Thank you all so much. I'm so honored and privileged to share this space with you all. For those of you who are listening, if you haven't stopped to reflect on our value of students are our top priority, you have just been interrupted. We hope to leave you with tools and tricks to help you consider students are our top priority. Until next time.